Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is September 2nd, 2015, uh, and this is episode 1637 of the Survival Podcast, and I've got a great one for you today. Joe and Amy Alton, also known as Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, are going to be on with us in just a little bit. And we are going to talk today about emergency medicine, specifically from the angle of antibiotics and other medicines stored as part of your preps for collapsed medicine, emergency medicine preparations. Nurse Amy and Dr. Bones have a mission, and that mission is to put a medically prepared person in every family for disaster situations. And one of the long-term scenarios that we may face, and long-term can any be a couple weeks. A couple weeks is long enough to die from disease or to become so stricken by disease that even by the time the situation is over, you may not be able to recover, or you may be in for very long and painful recovery uh, and never fully recover even if you don't die. These are, these are things that happen. Do you know what the number one killer in natural disasters worldwide is? When it comes down to it, there's a lot of different causes of it, but the end result is a symptom known as diarrhea and dehydration due to diarrhea. Because if you give a sick person that's, that's, that's thirsty a choice between drinking contaminated water or drinking no water and, and dying of, 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 you know, pure thirst, they'll drink the poison, the, the, the nasty water every single time. And they get sick and get diseases. But what it comes down to, it comes down to disease. Disease is the number one killer in disasters globally. It's just not what we think of. We think of the building falling on the person, not the aftermath of all the buildings falling down. Well, Joe and Amy are here today to talk about that aftermath and, and other things that can put us into that situation and how to deal with them medically. What precipitated this is I saw an article about fish antibiotics and about how they're not the same as human medications and should be never used ever uh, by somebody claiming to be a doctor. I don't even think it's a doctor. I think the website says doctor, but the author is not actually a doctor. I, I don't know. So I sent it over to Joe and Amy, and they're like, Amy went nuts, and uh, they said, can we come on a show and talk? And I said, well, fill out the form like everybody else, guys, and uh, Dorothy got them booked. So we're going to go over this subject, because I think it's an important one. Uh, I think antibiotics are heavily overused. I think Joe would definitely agree as a physician, but there's times when they're needed, and uh, there are ways to put them into your stores, and we're going to talk about that today. Before we do, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you to help make sure the show is here for you Monday through Friday, five days a week. Sponsor of the day number one today, Fortress Defense Consult and the awesome Frank Sharp Jr. and his cadre of instructors at FortressDefense.com will help you to complete that final linchpin in the gun operator triangle of efficiency. You know, people often ask me, what is the next gun I should buy? And what I say is maybe you should invest in some training. If you already have a good shotgun, a rifle, a handgun, and maybe a few other things for hunting and sporting purposes, instead of just buying another gun because it's cool or it was on the cover of a magazine, maybe you should invest in that final linchpin, the final moving part in that triangle of efficiency. You know, first you have the gun. You buy a gun off the shelf. It is what it is. It does what it does. You can rely on it to be what it is. Ammo is the same way. Good quality ammunition. You can never have too much of it, but you can buy it off the shelf. Those two things are commodities. There's one thing that really requires ongoing investment. That's you, the operator. You're the final moving part. 
A gun and ammo in the hands of somebody who doesn't know what to do can be more dangerous to the people that are trying to defend themselves than it can be a help to the situation. And it's also the case that even if you know how to handle a weapon professionally, you know what you're doing mechanically, there's a mental component when lives are on the line that cannot be condensed down into words. It has to be trained. It has to be drilled into you. You have to realize that if you get into one of these situations, what you'll end up doing is falling back to your lowest, not highest level of proficiency. That's where training kicks in and takes over. The kind of training you'll get from Frank and his cadre at FortressDefense.com. Check them out today. Learn how you can become an efficient operator of that weapon that you're carrying for the defense of yourself and others. Sponsor number two today is Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason. Uh, what are you going to get from Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason? Shockingly enough, you can get Berkey water filtration systems from Jeff because he is the Berkey Guy, the actual one, the only Berkey Guy. There's a lot of places you can get a Berkey, but I only know of one Berkey Guy, and I only know of one person with Jeff's fanatical dedication to his customers. Absolutely beyond belief how dedicated to customer service Jeff is and to making sure everybody gets uh, what they were expecting and if there's a problem that gets corrected fast and properly. Uh, Jeff's been with me as a sponsor for more than five years now. That's kind of unheard of in podcasting. It's really kind of unheard of in conventional radio, if you really think about it, to have sponsors stick with somebody that long. He does a great job for this audience. I, I haven't had any real complaints about him in five years. I had one person mad, but it was well, the post office did it, and there's only so much a person can do about the post office. Um, Jeff just takes care of everybody, and he has the, some of the best pricing available because those years of great customer service have made him one of the top distributors for Berkey in the world. So he gets some really great pricing that he passes along to you. He also has a lot of other really great stuff for your prepping needs. You'll find all his Berkey stuff and all his other great stuff, like the Survival Cave line of long-term storable foods at his website, directive21.com. Again, the website for Jeff, the Berkey Guy Gleason, directive, and the number's 21, followed by a dot and a com. Check him out today, and don't be the guy that got your Berkey from the non-Berkey guy when you could deal with the original, the one and only, the true Berkey guy, Jeff, the Berkey Guy Gleason. Next up, let's do Bob Wells' plan of the week. I put it in the show notes yesterday, but with the pond going in and being distracted, I didn't actually read the Bob Wells' plan of the week yesterday, so... Uh, they'll get featured in both today's episode and yesterday's episode of the notes, but today we'll actually tell you about the plant from Bob Wells this week that you can grow in your own backyard to help feed yourself. Uh, this week we have the Chandler Strawberry. It's highly adaptable strawberry from zones 5 to 9. Chandler Strawberry has a very large red glossy finish with a large conical long wedge shape. The fruit quality is excellent. The Chandler Strawberry produces a high yield, which is excellent for coastal areas down to Zone 9, and yet cold hardy enough to grow in Zone 5. If you live above Zone 5, there have, uh, Bob has other varieties available. September is the time to plant strawberry plants. I'm glad a lot of you guys didn't know that. You plant them in the fall so that they establish their roots all winter long. You can put pine straw or mulch around the plants protect the roots during the winter. After winter, they will leaf out, and you can start harvesting the berries in late May. Bob Wells specializes in edible landscape, including fruit trees, berry plants, nut trees, as well as other hard-to-find specialty trees. I have not had a lot of luck with strawberries here, and as many times as you've heard me to tell you guys to plant your trees and bushes in the fall, I never really thought about doing strawberries that way, but, well... It makes perfect sense. Now, that's not why I wasn't able to establish strawberries here. My geese, who there's only two of them left, uh, 
decided that they liked strawberry plants better out of the ground than in the ground. They, my wife keeps saying they ate them. They didn't eat them. They pulled them out. But um, I was thinking about turning one of my annual garden beds into a strawberry bed because it's all set nice and perfect and all. And maybe I'll do that this uh, this fall and get it ready for spring. Sounds like a good idea. Thanks, Bob Wells. You can learn more at bobwells.com. I do have a link to the Chandler Strawberry Plant and Bob Wells Nursery in today's show notes. Next up, consider joining the Member Support Brigade because you love this show and you want it to be here forever. And that's how you make sure that happens, by being a supporting member at a price that comes out to 18.3 cents an episode. When you get done with these shows, if you think they're worth 20 cents an episode, consider joining. And then use all the great discounts there to get all your money back and more. Most people find their membership is actually profitable. Imagine that AAA gave you discounts that were real discounts. Like when you went to a hotel and said, uh, how much is the room? And they said, 89 bucks tonight. And you say, what about with the, tr with the AAA discount? And they're like, I already gave you a better discount. What if they actually gave you a discount? Like they said, oh, that's going to be 70 bucks. I have discounts way better than that for you. Check out. There's over 60 companies selling the things you're probably buying anyway. And I mean everything. Guns to gardens, everything in between. How about infused olive oils? Display cases for your, you, you know, your, your, your knives and your other, uh, display things that you want to display. Uh, so we have like the, 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 the full on survival stuff, but we also have just the lifestyle stuff. Uh, check out the olive basket olive oil, guys. Those of you that are already members, Man, that stuff's fantastic. I need to order some more of that already. Uh, some one particular variety, the sage, the sage and mushroom stuff. Man, we go through that stuff like crazy because it's so dad gone good. Uh, Mai Tai coffee. If you're a coffee drinker, drink the best coffee out there. Get a discount on it, ten percent. Um, buy more than fifty bucks worth. Get free shipping. It's 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 awesome. That's why when they come out with a new blend and I put it out and they have fifty pounds of it, it's gone in an hour. Why do you think that is? These are the types of things I've gotten you discounts on. But yet, if you want discounts on long term storage food. Got that. Ammo, got that. You name it, I've got it for you. Check it out. Just go to survivalpodcast.com. Click on Members. Remember, if you are military, law enforcement, or Peace Corps, or active duty, uh, or prior service, doesn't matter, or a first responder like an EMT, paramedic, or firefighter, also active duty or prior service, you qualify for a discount to save even more money on an already great product that saves you money. Just email me before, not after you join. Service discount, TSPC, in the subject line. Send that email to Jack at the Survival. Podcast.com. Tell me about your service in one or two sentences. I'll get that discount code back to you. Do it before and not after you join. I've been doing it way more than a year now, so uh, there's no excuse for anybody to be like, I forgot or whatever. Anyway, uh, next up, before we, we dive into today's show, I want to remind you the uh, TSP Nine Mile Farm Homestead Skills Workshop is open for registration. Uh, it will actually be open later today. Uh, by the time you hear this, it'll be open to everybody. I'm going to put it on the blog as soon as I get done recording the intro for today. Uh, but it, we have, I think, 11 spots left. Uh, and I'm taking 30 odd people. I don't remember how many I, I set it up for. So we sold 20. No, we won't. We don't have 11 now that I think about it. We have had 25 registrations, so we have nine. We have nine openings uh, left, so that went pretty quick, uh, especially considering that workshop's not all the way out to November. But this is one of those if you've been trying to get to one, you know, it's only 100 bucks to hold your seat, and you got until until uh, the week of November 11th to come up with a balance. So um, come on out, and because we haven't sold out in the first day, I'll tell you this: if uh, if if you need to break your 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 second part into two payments, and uh, you, you need to do that. Get in touch with me. We'll work something out. Uh, I want people to be able to. I don't want people to not be able to come due to money. Uh, but I also have to charge, or I can't make money on them. And I'm going to get the thing called a divorce for putting my wife through all this stuff and not making any money on these events. 
Anyway, it's going to be really cool. We have the pond now. There's going to be a really great area to camp down there. Look at the pond. Uh, we're going to be doing quail for that. And I got another announcement for you. I'll be also having in the on the blog today. Uh, if you want to go to a workshop that's more focused on earthworks, and I mean large scale earthworks, multiple ponds, multiple swales in dirt where you can actually dig. Uh, Nick Ferguson is running one at uh, his place, and. Uh, I think that's going to be mid-October-ish. I'm going to be actually there as a guest instructor, so even though it's Nick's workshop, I'll be there. Uh, Nick is going to be running the equipment. I'll be on the ground with you guys as he's doing that. Uh, so you can learn more at his website. There'll be links in today's show notes, and again, that'll come out. So uh, if if you know butchering quail and 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 the title things and microgreens and stuff isn't what you want to learn, if you want to learn big earthworks, let's get on out to Nick's and and we can do that there. Anyway, with that wrapped up, let's go ahead and get into uh, today's show. I want to start out with something, though, uh, before I bring... Uh, actually, i got to do the history segment. Wow. I'm so discombobulated with all this stuff going on. Here's what I have for you in the history segment. The year 1637, China's worst five years of drought and rain in 500 years. Uh, the irrational exuberance of tulip mania. And women's lib, free freedom of religion, and gun control. Um, all three of these are fantastic. But I'm going to read China's worst five years of drought and rain in 500 years because it talks about a disaster and we're preparing for such things on the show every day. And we're definitely talking about that today with Bones and Amy. The Little Ice Age hit China hard with drought and rain out of season. The drought for a few years sparked a rebellion amongst farmers against the Ming Dynasty. But this year, a veil of dust from unusual volcanic activity will cause the five worst years in Chinese history. As measured between the years 1470 and 1969, six eruptions will occur in the Philippines, Indonesia, and New Guinea in the next few years and cause global temperatures to drop. Russia and Ukraine will suffer from drought and subsequent famine. Japan will be hit uh, by similar series of droughts next year. Virginia will suffer its driest year in 1638. And you know I have to say it, millions will die. Here's Alex Shrug's take uh, at TSP Wiki. Well, let's accentuate the positive. Obviously, there's nothing, there, there is nothing a modern-day farmer can do about volcanic eruptions, but modern farmers are in a better position to roll with the punches than 17th century farmers in the midst of the Little Ice Age. Today, our growing seasons are longer and our temperatures are slightly higher, and therefore we can handle drops in temperatures. Rains out of season are more difficult to handle, with, but with modern irrigation systems, even the desert can produce props. Crops. I'm looking at you, Southern California. We also have better food storage so we can spread a good harvest across a longer span of time until we get the next crop in. Yeah, and then let me give you the, 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 the pessimistic side. All that said, if you get a weather pattern like this, millions will die again. The only upside is it will be a smaller percentage of the total population. If we get a weather pattern uh, that mimics what happened in 1637 you will see widespread death across the globe beyond people dying from hunger and starvation uh, as they do every day. I think my other take is right now we have a lot of people dying of, of starvation. It's not a lack of food. It's not that we don't produce enough food. It's the people that need the food getting it that's the problem. I don't have an easy answer to that, but it's something to contemplate and something to be grateful for that it's not you. And it's also um, a bit of a warning to me. It's why we store food, so that if we ever get into a shortage, if we ever get into a crisis, we don't store food so that I have everything and no one else has anything. We store food so that I can take care of myself, so I don't have to compete with those who are not prepared, and that leaves more behind for them. 
my take by Jack Spierko. Now, what I wanted to say before I bring Bones and Amy on is you might have noticed lately that I've been playing different songs at the exit of the show. Generally, I'm not going to tell you what those songs are. I'm just going to throw them in there and let you discover them for yourself. But if you go to the show notes for the show, you'll usually find a link to a YouTube video with the song in it or something like that. Um, I just think maybe it, it, it'd be kind of cool for you guys to get exposed to some, some better music. Um, there's a, a guy named Sir Mashup or Sir Mix-a-Lot or something like that that recently did a thing like a year ago where he took six country music songs that were either number ones or almost made number one or were on their way to number one and, and, and mashed them all into one thing. And it, like, they, they played like the lyrics and then the lyrics to the next one and the lyrics to the next one. And the whole thing just runs together and it all, I mean, it sounds like a song. And at one point he plays all six guitar solos simultaneously and it flows straight through. It sounds like a song. The, the, the music is losing its originality. You know, I recently exposed you guys to Harrison Bergeron and the one point the guy that's kind of the head of the, of the people in charge says, you know, every time I see a, a wonderful movie or listen to beautiful music, I know we'll never create that again. Sometimes I feel like that's happening right now. Um, But it wasn't that long ago that people made original music. It wasn't all bubblegum, as, as I call it today. It wasn't all the same. And uh, I have a pretty broad breadth of uh, musical uh, appreciation. I like country. I like rock. I like jazz. I like classical. I like just about everything except rap music and music that all sounds the same. I don't know if there's a country music artist out there anymore that can make a freaking song without the word boy or girl in it. I mean, every other song, girl, you look so girl, girl, girl. I mean, I just want to, like, what is wrong? These are the people that are supposed to be creating music. Well, the truth is, there's a lot of people out there still making music. They're just not in the clique. They're not in the in the group that, that is, it's, it's fictitiously presented to you as the best that we have. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff out there. Today I'll be playing another song you've probably never heard. Um, in this case, i got to say, they do sound just like something else. They... They kind of sound just like Nickelback to me, and I'm not a huge fan of Nickelback. And I don't know that I would say that today's uh, ending music will be um, original-sounding music, but dig the words, man. They fit a lot with what Uncle Jack's trying to tell you on a daily basis. And with that wrapped up, uh, let's go ahead and introduce our special guests now. Uh, Jamie and Joe Alton, also known as Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. They are not only great friends to the TSP community, uh, great people in the preparedness movement, but they're also great personal friends of Dorothy and I. And with that, hey, Bones, Amy, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Howdy, Jack. Thank you so much for having us back. Jack, you rascal, you. It is great to hear your voice. Well, hopefully we're going to get to see each other again soon. Dorothy said we, we might do that. But you better. You uh, got to oh, we'll see. Oh, I so need someone good. to babysit 140 ducks. So Yeah, 140. <laughs> Boy, it, it, the, the number keeps mounting. Oh, yeah, and 60 are coming. 60 are coming next week. Oh, my God. We, we have too many people wanting eggs. We're so... Anyway, let's talk. That's about a good problem to have, though. Right? <laughs> really. Uh, let's let's hope they don't fly south for the winter. Yeah, right. Like Mexico or someplace. <laughs> no, I got four that could. The rest of them ain't going nowhere. They can barely fly over their food dishes. But. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. But you know, we're here just hanging out because we know each other. But so there might be some people in the audience that don't know y'all. Um, it's been a while since you've been on the air. Can you kind of just just start out? Just tell people who you guys are, what you do, and how you got to doing it because it ain't always what you did. All right, well, I'm Joe Alden. I'm a medical doctor and a fellow of the 
American College of Surgeons and the American College of OBGYN delivered a lot of babies early in my career and then tons and tons of surgeries as time went on and my patient population got older. So that's basically my background and the lovely nurse Amy. Yes, I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner, which means I got a bachelor's degree in nursing, became an RN, uh, got a couple years of working experience under my belt and went back to school for a master's degree. And uh, that's how I became an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. Right. And she's delivered lots of babies, lots and lots and lots of babies walking around. Uh, our website. Thanks to lovely. Yeah. <laughs> our website's uh, doomandbloom.net. Mm-hmm. And we started off just writing uh, free articles. There are now, I think we have over 700 of them. 710 right now. Wow. Articles, and videos, podcasts, podcasts, all on medical preparedness for situations where the ambulance is heading in the other direction. But also survival gardening. I did make some videos and also some articles on that. So. Which are actually the most popular videos that we have. <laughs> she has like 300,000 videos on her cucumbers. I didn't know people loved cucumbers oh, so much. tomatoes are catching up. Are and they? the corn. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so that's a little bit about us. Yeah, um, together we wrote uh, the uh, Amazon best-selling book, The Survival Medicine Handbook, A Guide mm-hmm. for When Medical Help is Not on the Way. And this is... Uh, our labor of love and we, you know, in this, in this book, we basically, it's like a, it's a medical and first aid book that has a specific assumption. And that is that something has happened and there's no doctors, there's no hospitals anymore. And the average person now is now the highest medical asset that the family has. And our aim is to teach in, in plain English, the average person to be effective in that role. Yeah, you guys have a mission to put a medically prepared person in every family for disaster situations. And, you know, given you guys come from a more of a traditional medical background, what led you guys to make the decision to to go into this world? Well, you know, after Hurricane Katrina, I, I took a look at our disaster medical response, and I saw that, you know, it, you may think we have dropped, we really dropped the ball with that disaster, but we had hundreds of medical personnel converging upon New Orleans in disaster medical assistance teams, and they found themselves immediately overwhelmed by the mass number of casualties, 15,000 patient visits a day, 1,800 deaths, and despite having as much high technology as they could bring into the place, they couldn't reach a lot of people because of flooding and because of other issues, and there were people who died as a result of the as I said, the ambulance heading in the other direction because there were so many people that needed help. And so we figured that it makes sense to teach people, at somebody at least in every family, to be able to deal with injuries and illnesses and to be truly prepared for you know disaster storms, things like that, tornadoes, hurricanes. And, and we really started writing about it. And the first article that I wrote, uh, was published in Survival Blog uh, by uh, James Wesley Rawls about fish antibiotics, and so this was one of this was one of our things that became that was over five years ago, right? And uh, it's and I was the first physician that was willing to write about this kind of stuff mm-hmm. and things like that, expiration dates, all that stuff, and so and we just seemed to get a following. As a matter of fact, uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, a guy 
came to a booth at a show we were at and, and bought a book and he gave me a hundred bucks and I said, all right, wow, well, here's your change. And so he says, nah, keep it. And I said, I can't keep your change. Right. And, he, and he says, <laughs> keep it. You're the reason I'm in business. And that, down the down the hall was uh, a, fish a, booth, antibiotic. a fish antibiotic booth, which we don't sell, by the way. We don't sell it actually. We're medical people. Isn't we that funny? Yeah, yeah. We, don't, we don't feel it's ethical. Yeah, we could travel in our own Learjet probably yeah. if, if, if we had, I don't if know we about had a, done that. I don't know about a Learjet, but maybe a hot air balloon uh, in our own hot air balloon. In our own hot air balloon, hundred conversion something, right? You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah, we we <laughs> just a nice RV. Yeah, yes, you, oh, right. yeah, that would be I awesome. Would have, that I would love, actually. I think that, that would be great. But, you know, I just felt that it was unethical for me to sell or for us to uh, sell yeah. antibiotics or other prescription medicines. When we're talking without, about them. Without, without physically touching a person and Right, if they're not our patient, it's, we, we walk a really fine line. We give advice, but it's truly about the the situation where modern medicine is just gone. You can't get to it. It can't get to you. We're really not trying to replace your doctor. We're not re- trying to replace your nurse practitioner or the emergency room. It's it seriously our, our goal, and it's so important for people to understand this. Please go to the doctor if you have a current issue. Right. Our focus is medical preparedness <laughs> for disaster right. settings. And you call it collapsed medicine, really, because it's it's not just about an emergency. It's about the fact that for some period of time, whether it's a day or a week or a month or a couple hours, there is no alternative, and and you got to do something. And what I was saying before I brought you guys on during the intro is I don't think people understand that three days can be enough time in a collapse to be dead and without taking effective treatment measures that even if you're not dead when they find you, you're in a hell of a lot worse shape than you would have been had you known what to do. And with with kind of like either one of y'all to speak to this, that what I also said was the number one cause of, of death in disasters worldwide usually ends up being illness, uh, born diarrhea of some sort, and people die of dehydration. And it's oh. usually the health things that kill more people, but no one thinks about that. Everybody thinks about the building falling down, but no one thinks about the lack of response after the building falls down. Yeah. Right. And it, it, the other thing they think about is that everyone's just going to be suddenly shot. You know, yeah. right? They, you know, it's all going to be bullets and shrapnel. <laughs> right. But right. the truth of the matter is, if you, if if we're going to be thrown back to, you know, nineteenth century uh, medicine as a result of some long term EMP or or, or other long term survival situation, we all only have to look back to the Civil War to see what people really died of back then. And and among Civil War soldiers, there were a lot more of them that died from dysentery and other dehydration due to diarrheal disease than died from bullets or shrapnels. And that and so it would be in the future if we find ourselves in that kind of scenario. Exactly, because our water system's gonna go down. So this beautiful clean water, well if you can consider tap water clean water if you I do. <laughs> I'm not picky. Uh, it's got a lot of stuff in it. Medications that people are eating are going <laughs> are going into our sewer system, and a lot of us are drinking it. Mm. But you know, quote clean water is not going to be coming out of your tap. So people need to understand <clears throat> that just because water looks clear doesn't mean that it's safe. And even if it's a stream of water coming off a beautiful mountain. 
it still could be contaminated. But not only are, will there be issues with water, there's going to be. You don't like your water with yummy cryptosporidium in it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Cryptosporidium, Giardia, Gloria. Amoeba, that's all a, sorts that's of That's a wonderful yeah. um, after effect. Yes, yes. <laughs> Mem- it'll make for a memorable, memorable experience. experience. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, not only the water we have to worry about, but the food. A lot of people don't understand that you can't just go into your refrigerator a couple days later and eat anything you want. Right, like, after the power's right, out. Right, right. So, you know, there's going to be not only food... Uh, water Ill issues, but there's going to be food issues, too, that can all cause the same effect. <laughs> and, and what we got you guys on to talk about today is uh, using antibiotics in those situations and how you can be prepared to do that uh, with the use of these, these uh, you know, fish antibiotics, these fish medicine. Um, and what precipitated was, I found an article I sent you guys from some people that I don't really know what they're talking, think they know what they're talking about, that basically said, don't use this stuff, you know, it's not the same, it's, you know, it's an entirely different version of penicillin for your guppies, or, or whatever, but, um, can you talk about, you know, is there any difference between, you know, fish psyllin and penicillin? You know, I gotta say that in, in most cases, let's, I will say in some cases, there's absolutely no difference except that they're labeled for fish use. Now, I'm, don't just take my word for it. I mean, here's a statement from the fish antibiotic FAQ from Thomas Labs, the nation's largest distributor of fish meds. They say the antibiotics that are used to treat fish are the same or similar as the antibiotics that are provided for human use from antibiotic manufacturing companies. Are the same or similar? depending on the type of antibiotic and form. Antibiotic tablets and capsules used for ornamental and pet fish are the same. I mean, this is, they put this in, in are print. Are the same. The capsules they, they, are the same. They put this in print. Are, are the same as the antibiotics dispensed from the local pharmacies for human use, except they are clearly labeled for fish use. Mm. They go on to say, okay, here's a, here's a question from the question and answer. If the antibiotics for fish are the same as USP grade antibiotics dispensed from human pharmacies, then why should humans not take them also? This is their answer. The law clearly states that any antibiotic for non-human use needs to be labeled as for non-human use, regardless of its application. Thomas Labs sources its antibiotics from the same USP grade manufacturing as antibiotics used for humans, but we're not doctors. We don't deal in human health problems. And that's how they get... That's how they uh, sort of disclaim themselves from it. So there you have it from the horse's mouth. black and white. Right. I mean, and now that's not to say that all fish meds or all veterinary meds are acceptable for human use. I've researched the ones I think might be helpful to the family medic for survival settings. Well, and I think antibiotics is something that is largely misunderstood. I, I think you would both agree as medical professionals that... They've been overused, and that's damaged their effectiveness. But in the end, there's still a lot of things they can save a life from. And in, in collapse situations, that's that's kind of where we're going. But you know, can we kind of talk about what they should be used for and what they shouldn't be used for? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, we have. Let's take um, let's take some examples. Okay, of an antibiotic and what they're used for. Now, one of the antibiotics uh, on the World Health Organization's list of essential medicines is doxycycline. Doxycycline is a synthetic man-made antibiotic uh, in the tetracycline family. It's it's an extraordinarily versatile, versatile drug, and, and it, you can use it for a million things. You can use it for E. coli, 
Shigella, Enterobacter infections. These are a lot of these. Anthrax. You, uh, yeah, you, these are a lot of antibody, uh, infections you see in, in contaminated food that you read about, people getting sick from contaminated food. That You could use it for Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever. You, I think you mentioned anthrax. Yep. Cholera will take care of. It will take care of uh, boils, uh, gum disease, acne. It will take care of a lot of upper respiratory infections caused by strep. Uh, it will even take care of the plague. Yeah, I mean, the plague. So, I mean, it deals with that. It also deals with some parasitic wound infections, wound, uh, some parasitic infections, worm infections is what I actually meant to say. And not because it kills the worm, but it kills the bacteria that's necessary in the worm's gut for it to live. Mm. So, so this is just one of them. And another one, of course, is amoxicillin. Amoxicillin is the most popular antibiotic that's prescribed to kids, usually mixed with some juice or other type of liquid. And, it, and it's uh, more versatile and better absorbed than uh, some of the older penicillins. But let's just mention one thing. Um, the antibiotics that we recommend that people store, again, for the collapse situation should be in pill or capsule form. So although we're mentioning that it's most commonly given to children in a liquid, that is not going to be something that will be useful for long-term storage because it does expire around the time that the label says it expires. Now, a properly, a properly sealed powder will probably be okay, right, too. Right, the but powder's not, okay. But not in liquid form. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. so make sure you store some grape juice so you can mix the stuff in for your little something. drink. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, moxicillin is good for uh, chlamydia, uh, sexually transmitted disease, some urinary tract infections, um, uh, also Lyme disease, otitis media, ear infections, uh, pneumonia, sinusitis, skin uh, infections, infected cuts, kind that kind of thing, uh, bronchitis, tonsillitis, uh, sore th strep throat. It'll work for or work for anthrax also, amazingly. And now, of course, you need to study antibiotics and their use and indications to be able to make a difference as the medic for the survival group. I mean, you got to learn to identify when a wound becomes infected, let's say, for example, a lot of other stuff as well. And some antibiotics uh, shouldn't be used in kids. Some aren't good for pregnant ladies. Some are bad if you're allergic to penicillin. I mean, antibiotics are not something to use injudici injudiciously. Exactly. As, as you said, and veterinary antibiotics, they are no different. I mean, the over you talked about overuse of antibiotics. You're absolutely right. I mean, it is the cause of an of a epidemic of an antibiotic resistance that we see today. And the amazing thing, and I'll bet a lot of your uh, this audience is a, this doesn't is a good know statistic. this. Right, eighty percent of antibiotics in this country are used not That's on right. humans but in livestock, and mm -hmm. it's not because there's an infection that you're treat they're treating the livestock for. It's simply because there's a statistical difference in how fast they grow. If you give them antibiotics, they grow faster. You get them to market faster hmm. by giving them antibiotics. And I think that is a crime, man. I, I also think it has something to do with keeping them alive while they're standing ankle deep in their own feces. Yeah, or, or right next to other dead animals yeah. that have not been yeah. removed, and they are eating those dead animals that are uh, contaminated. You know, know. it is on how they how they say you know this chicken has never uh, received antibiotics. Do you know what they're doing now? What they're injecting the antibiotics into the egg before the animal hatches, and since these are birds that grow so fast, they're basically hopped up on antibiotics for like the first three weeks of their life. Oh. So they're they're injecting it into the egg, 
and then saying, well, the, it, it's antibiotic. We never gave the chicken any antibiotics. <gasps> Just, you know. That's semantics. That is yeah. a crime. Wow. Yay. Like, but, wow. But, like, how did you guys, like, really dig into this? Because I know that, you know, you just read some stuff, Joe, off of the, the website of the manufacturer. But you guys really – I know you. You're like – and I mean this in the best way I, I, I can, you know, say it as a compliment. You're really anal retentive about certain things. And as a doctor, if you're going to tell somebody something, you're going to be sure of it and then sure of it and then sure of it. Uh, and then you know one what? more time, and then you'll say it. So you dug really deep into this, didn't you? You are damn right. You know, <laughs> I, 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 I stand behind everything that I say. You know, I'm a retired doctor, but you know, I still keep an active medical license, and uh, I, I really want to say that I'm coming from a position where I really can speak on it. And you know what? I'm in a very unique position to speak on this topic because not only am I a medical doctor and treat uh, 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 humans with antibiotics when they have bacterial infections that need antibiotics, but I also am an aquaculturist. In other words, I for many years I raised uh, ornamental pet fish, uh, tropical fish and stuff like that. And then as I got interested in preparedness, started raising tilapia in ponds. So I'll tell you that when I had a pet fish that had fin rot or some other bacterial infection of fish, I would give them a commonly uh, available product called fish mox. And fish mox is a fish antibiotic. And of course, when I gave a human uh, an antibiotic, I might give them, let's say, amoxicillin. Now, for many years, I didn't think twice about it. But when I started being interested in preparedness, and I saw this uh, History Channel uh, special after Armageddon uh, in this in this thing. The, the Johnson family survives a, an epidemic or some, some kind of terrible disaster, winds up in a survival community, and he, the, the father, starts doing stuff he's not used to. He's chopping wood for f fuel, for example. So he cuts himself. The cut becomes infected. He's a paramedic. He knows that when, when a cut's infected. And so he goes and looks for, in the medical stores of the community, absolutely no antibiotics. And so he just watches himself slowly die over the next two weeks mm -hmm. as the infection goes into his bloodstream. So anyhow, so I said to myself, my God, we have to do something in order to be able to get antibiotics into Prepper's medical storage. So I looked at my fish mocks. And I found that it had exactly one ingredient. And the one ingredient in fish mock is amoxicillin, either 250 milligrams or the, the Forte version is 500 milligrams. Okay. Now, I looked further and researched into it, and I found that it is only produced, only produced in human dosages. Now, why does my guppy need the same dosage of amoxicillin <laughs> as you, Jack Spierko? Ha ha. And but and there's no instructions, by the way, that tell you put this much in a half gallon bowl and put this much in a 300 gallon aquarium. And so I went in even further into it, and so I opened up my bottle of uh, fish box forte. It was uh, a red and pink, uh, the 500 milligram version. It was a red and pink capsule with the numbers and letters WC731 on it. <laughs> I looked. I opened up my human amoxicillin made by Deva Pharmaceuticals. It was a red and pink capsule with the numbers and letters WC731 on it. What does that tell you? That maybe, it just me. maybe, they're the same thing. You know, I'm not sure, but... <laughs> well, I found a dozen antibiotics like that, 
And, you know, I write about that, uh, in our book. Uh, you'll see videos on the YouTube channel. You'll, you'll see, uh, of course, a million articles on the website on these both generally and also specifically about individual antibiotics. And for each of these pills that you can go on drugs.com and check and audience, feel free to do this. It'll cost you a few dollars, buy one bottle and then take a capsule out and look on one of these pill identification websites, you will see one manufacturer for that pill. There are not two, with one being labeled, you know, the fish manufacturer. There is one single manufacturer. Each pill has its own manufacturer. Right. Well, though, there are different manufacturers that really do the very, very common drugs. And so they don't always look exactly the same. So that's why I mentioned amoxicillin made by Deva Pharmaceuticals. For example, uh, Fishflex, which is cephalexin or Keflex, it looks exactly the same as the Keflex 500 milligrams that's made by Westward Pharmaceuticals. So, I mean, I have very strict criteria. That, In other words, they are... There's only one ingredient. There's nothing there that makes your scale shinier or makes your fins longer <laughs> or your feathers brighter in right. bird antibiotics. Yeah. <laughs> it's only produced in human dosages, and it has to look identical down to the identification numbers and letters to the human version produced by at least one pharmaceutical company. And then, that, then it gets the, the Dr. Bone seal of, 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 of identification. And, That's you know, when you explained all this to me years ago, I went, I put my corporatist hat on and went, well, that makes perfect sense because I'm not about to set up a facility to manufacture freaking fish mocks, right? I'm just going to take the the, the mocks and put it in a box and call it fish mocks so that I can rhyme three times, you know? I mean, that's that's what I'm going to do. And when you're talking about these identifying characteristics, I'm on drugs.com right now. And, you know, these are specific industry marks that a pharmacist would say conclusively, unless somebody has, you know, pulled it apart and put something else in there, this is this drug. It's the only one that looks like that on price. And that's because they need to know who manufactured that drug. If, If you go to grandma's house and half of a bottle of of some pill is gone and you know the, they say an autopsy well she OD'd they're going to want to know where that pill came from what is it she might have them in a bowl you know yeah, that's what you want to say when she put it in her empty cinnamon jar yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> or you know their older people have these organizations where they have monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday saturday and sunday in their you know these little plastic containers you, as the child or the caretaker, may not know exactly what their pills are, so you can look them up, and it will tell you who made it, what it is, and all the identification about the medication. That is why they have those identifying colors and shapes on them and letters and numbers so that everyone knows where that pill was made. The important thing to know is that even if you have a sympathetic doctor, you can get maybe two weeks worth of, you know, a particular antibiotic or something like that. But you're not going to get a hundred tablets or a hundred capsules of an antibiotic from your doctor. I mean, in order to do that, you have to go to some kind of alternative means and this is a way that without a prescription that you can get a supply of these antibiotics various antibiotics and this is something that somewhere along the line if something bad happens 
somebody's going to save a life by having these in their medical storage. And let me talk about what you just said there in, in a real-world context of something that just happened. A few weeks ago, uh, I was walking around in the yard over by where, where the ducks hang out most of the time. So there's a lot of duck poo and stuff like that. And there had been like a, a, a stray piece of uh, baling wire dropped on the ground somewhere. I was wearing Crocs, and a piece of that wire went straight through my Croc and into my foot, right, right about where the ball behind the uh, the big toe is, like kind of just over from that ball. And, I mean, I felt it go all the way in and touch bone. Um, and I hadn't had a tetanus shot in quite a while, and I'm not big on being immunized against everything in the world, but I don't jack with tetanus. So off to care now we go for a tetanus shot. I wish I would have known that I could have went down to, like, Albertsons and got one for $10. Um, <laughs> right. right. But we got in there, and, I, you know, I told the guy, I said, two days from now I'm officiating my son's wedding. I don't want my foot swollen up with an infection. So I think maybe antibiotics would be a good idea. He's like, well, why? I'm like, oh, because the piece of wire that went in my foot was covered in duck shit? <laughs> oh, yeah. So he gave me five days' worth, right, which is probably fine as a preventative measure in that situation. But, you know, if odds of being infected when you have a deep puncture wound with duck shit are pretty high. And, yes. and in that situation, it was a five-day thing. So, yeah, you're right. You know, he's not going to give you 100 or 200 uh, capsules. Right. He's not going to give you a refill on it and say, hey, Jack, next time you step on that wire covered in dog shit or, <laughs> or duck shit, uh, here's an extra dose. Go get it refilled. He's no. going to make you come back and get a new prescription. And it's also an example of like, so I didn't self-medicate, right? I didn't decide which antibiotic would be best for me. Since help was available, I used the system. I got ripped off, but I used the system that was available. And that's what you guys are recommending. Not that everybody that has a sniffle goes out and shoots down half a bottle of fish mocks. Exactly right. You know that this, everything that we talk about is for situations in which modern medical help is not going to be accessible to you. So period. And, and, and we specifically talk about long-term situations, although a lot of what, we, a lot of what we talk about does go for, you know, the aftermath of, of, of bad storms, tornadoes. Acute situations a couple weeks. Of course. Absolutely. So, so Bones, just, I mean, on that thought right there. So now imagine that, that we were in one of those situations and I'm out trying to keep stuff together. I step on that piece of wire. It is inoculated with duck feces. Sounds a little better, doesn't it, Amy? Duck feces. <laughs> so, and I get an injection of duck feces, not only into my foot, but, but you know, I think it just kind of touched bone. But, like, my father did this one time and got infected in the bone where a nail went in, and it was a very long-term infection to get rid of. And I have no antibiotics, and I can't get medical help for three weeks. Talk about what that could lead to. Well, I'll tell you what happens is, is first you'll start having some redness in the area, some swelling. Uh, that area becomes sort of warm, warm to the touch. As time goes on over the next few days, that red area is going to spread. As it spreads, it'll go travel close, it'll, it'll move up towards the body core. And as it moves up towards the body core, it eventually hits the circulation. And once it does that, it can give you an infection of your, I guess, your bloodstream, which is called septicemia. And that can be a life-threatening event. And in the best case scenario, I have a honked up foot, if my body's even able to fight off the infection, in a collapse situation, so now a, a minor pain becomes a complete, you know, maybe incapacitation. I can't, I can't fulfill my, my duties to my group at that point because I'm laid up as a gimp in the best case scenario. Worst case scenario, I'm dying of blood poisoning of some kind. Yeah, Jack, you know, they, we have to make sure, as medic, 
your duty is to make sure that you have your people at 100% efficiency uh, as much as possible just so that they can perform the activities of daily survival. And so it only makes sense to be able to, to have the tools in the medical woodshed that would allow you to deal with the issues that are going to prevent people from being efficient or, to, or take them out of your workforce. And this is something that antibiotics would be a very helpful tool to have in your arsenal, weapon to have in your arsenal. So can you talk about maybe some uh, veterinary medicines that we shouldn't be using or, or, or what have you? Um, you know, I don't know that we need to be shooting ourselves up with a whole bunch of liquid wormer for cows. Right, exactly. Well, you know one thing that you need to worry about is things for uh, medicines for large animals. They usually come in dosages that are... They, they fail to meet my criteria because they come in huge doses or horse meds and, and cow meds and things like that we, you know aren't going to be the dose that the average human is going to be using and so this is one specific circumstance where I don't think it makes sense now in any circumstance where there are additional ingredients that aren't related to the use for humans you know, then I, that's another circumstance under which I think that it might not be a good idea to use a veterinary antibiotic because they may have, maybe there is something that they use that makes your fur have a beautiful sheen or, you know, have your scales be shinier or nice long feathers, you know, things like that. This is something that sort of takes it out of my recommended list of medicines. Gotcha. Um, do you have like maybe a list of what you think people should be in the average person's kit, like the, the specific items and quantities that people should procure now, and uh, in case they ever need them? Well, some of the uh, medications if we're, if we're talking about antibiotics, I think some that are useful include amoxicillin that we mentioned, doxycycline that we mentioned, metronidazole, called flagell in the U.S. and it's fishzole as a uh, a fish antibiotic. That deals with giardia and a lot of the protozoa that live in water, a lot of the microorganisms that live in water that cause infectious uh, diarrhea. So I think that that would be a very useful thing to have. I think uh, cleosin, uh, clindamycin, uh, is called fish sin, C-I-N. Uh, aquatic azithromycin, people have often taken a Z-pack as one of the most prescribed antibiotics in the world, as a matter of fact, and they have that as aquatic azithromycin. All you have to do is uh, Google these, and you'll find a lot of great uh, places that I'm sure that, that sell these, but you have to make sure that they have the right dosages, and of course, to do that, you can look at our book, you can look at our website, and uh, the ones that some people are allergic to penicillin, so I want to make sure that they're not taking uh, amoxicillin, um, uh, fish psyllin, which is ampicillin, uh, fish pen, which is penicillin. Those are ones to stay away from if you're allergic to penicillin. I think that's, that's a big issue. And, uh, I would, uh, even stay away from Keflex, from Fishflex, because there's about a 10% cross reactivity with people that are allergic to penicillin or allergic to Fishflex. Right. And if people have a sulfa allergy, obviously oh, yeah. they don't want to take bird sulfa. Right. So the, the same, uh, you know, criteria that your doctor would use to prescribe antibiotics to you, you kind of have to, to self-evaluate that. And I imagine for some people, like, 
that that could actually be a useful conversation with your doctor the next time you are sick, just to get kind of a reinforcement on your personal medical case. You know, you're putting me on this antibiotic. Why and 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 why not use others? Because he might tell you like I'm not doing this because you have this allergy, and you kind of learn more about yourself. Because in some of these situations, you know, as a medic, you have to know about other people, but you only know what they tell you. So I mean, that runs into the problem of this guy's sick. I think I can help with penicillin. Are you allergic to penicillin? I don't know. <laughs> uh, but at least you can take and you can know your, yourself. Well, you know, I think it's very important. It's one of the duties of the medic, of the effective medic in a survival setting, to, is to know the medical history as best as they can uh, of the people that they expect to be medically responsible for. So if you're going to be the medic for your group, you need to ask people you what they're allergic to, have they had any surgeries, Have they had? are they on any medications, they have chronic medical conditions. Like the last thing that you want is to have uh, some guy with high blood pressure <laughs> show up with his last three pills because you didn't know that he had high blood pressure and you, you didn't encourage him to get some extra meds. Yeah, that that's a really great point. So, you know, we can go out and online uh, stock up on a good supply of, of antibiotics for these collapse scenarios and just make them part of our kit. And we'll talk about proper storage in a minute. But there's other things that people need uh, or might need that maybe aren't available as an animal equivalent. Are there ways that they can you know, safely have some of those available to themselves in the future? Well, uh, one method that um, I'm going to talk about, and I know Dr. Bones here has a second one also, is... When you get your prescription filled, the pharmacist can tell you the soonest possible date to come back and refill your prescription. Now, it is never the day after you run out of your pills, which mm. means it could be three days early, five days early, and even possibly a week before your medicines run out. If you do that consistently... You come back the week early. You have those extra seven pills to use first. Always save the pills that are in the new bottle that you've gotten. And believe me, after a few months, you sh you could have a significant amount of pills. But but the pharmacist will be able to check with the insurance company and let you know the date that you come back and just show up on that date. If there are no medicines that you if you're taking a medicine that just doesn't have a veterinary equivalent, then also you need to look at some natural alternatives. What might be growing in your environment? That, right. that, what plant, what herb might have medicinal benefits? So, for example, garlic has antibiotic properties. Honey has antibiotic properties. So these are a couple of great choices with regards to to that. Uh, capsaicin from chili peppers is uh, is useful for natural pain relief. Ginger uh, willow bark, not the actual bark, but the underbark, the green underbark, has salicin. And salicin is uh, what they used to make the first aspirin back in the 1800s. And now it's so, chemically right. produced, but so that's what, where they got it from. Right. There, there's a story about a, a Spanish uh, team of explorers that were dying of scurvy in the middle of the forest, and some Native Americans came upon them and they were looking bad and so they just went to the tree that one of the guys was sitting on was was laying under and he just picked some of the green pine needles and made a tea out of it and have them had them drink it because vitamin c was in the tea and they knew they'd have got rid of the 
the the symptoms that cause scurvy. And so if you know what's going on in terms of the plants in your environment that might have medicinal benefits, then, well, you know what? Eventually, you got to think about it. The pharmaceuticals are going to run out if things last long enough, and you are going to have to know how to deal with these things, maybe even grow these things, cultivate these things, if you're going to be effective as a medic in times of trouble. Yeah, I mean, there's some other things that you make me think of when you start talking about that. Like, So the, one of the last things I need is somebody freaked the hell out all the time. Um, and there's so many people on these meds, and you can't replace these um, anti-anxiety meds and all wholesale right away, but you can deal with some of the situations. Things like valerian, California yes. poppy, these are things that <laughs> sedative yes. that like take this with a shot of vodka and go shut up for a while so I can help somebody else. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. actually growing valerian right. in my backyard, which right. I was pretty surprised because it's a little bit out of its grow zone. So if you're considering alternative sources for medications, now is actually the time, and I know Jack, that you've got an amazing garden and orchards and all kinds of fantastic food sources in your backyard, and we have done the same thing. Right. You need to do this now, and you need to look at not only just growing general foods, but possibly medicinal plants that could be specific for your family or or for the general public in case you need to, to help somebody else out. So, you know, valerian root, is like you said, something that uh, could be used to help with anxiety. There's also lavender, lemon balm. Um, we, we're very lucky, chamomile. We're very passion lucky flower. down here that we can grow uh, passion flowers and actually get passion fruit. But, you know, you need to find out now what grows in your area. There are things I can't grow. Like, I cannot grow lavender, despite mm. trying as many different lavender varieties as possible it just will not survive in south florida i could probably grow it in my house but that's not going to help me if something goes down you know artificially creating an environment for a plant that is not going to live on its own outside is not going to help you yeah i agree yeah (laughs) yeah i mean and i'll also tell you like so my thought is this like if you have something that you you identify as an herbal that would be good to have Mm-hmm. Um, and it's difficult for you to grow, or even if you're growing it, like I can go to Mountain Rose Herbs and I can buy a pound of dried valerian root for twenty right. bucks. For twenty dollars. Now, do you know how many valerian plants you got to pick up, chop up, and dry to get a pound of root? Right. Um, so, if you have a specific herbal that you think would be valuable to your group or in your region that doesn't grow well there, you know. That's cheap. It's legal. That's easy to stock up on. Mm-hmm. You have, and I think most preppers probably have a vacuum sealer. Um, maybe that's a good idea too. I'm just saying. Absolutely. I have I have bags and bags of dried herbs. I have chamomile, which is another thing that's very difficult to grow down here. I have this giant bag of chamomile flowers, <laughs> but I know if something happens that I can use that. And another thing that people should consider is essential oils. And I know people say, well, I'm just going to grow the plants and then I'll make the essential oils. Well, good luck with that because I've actually tried to do that with, uh, we have millions of Malaluka trees down here. Now that's actually tea tree. the source for tea tree essential oil. So we went out, we thought we would be real smart and, you know, economical, and we went out and gathered a bunch of plant material, and it had this very small 
little copper distiller, which is just yep. so cute. Yeah, just experiment. And there. so I just put some plant material. I, I, I actually got about a half of a drop from what I could see floating <laughs> in the fluid. Cause you know, some of, some water, water comes out too. So, you know, you're supposed to gather the oil off of the, the water that's there. I just not even one drop. And I kept adding material and adding material. Just do not think folks that you can go out and just create your own essential oils. That is one thing. If you find some essential oil that seems to work for you or you think is going to work for you and you want to put it away, this is now the time, and I agree with you, Mountain Rose Herbs. I, you know, I've tried a lot of different oils from a lot of different places. It's a family-owned company. In fact, they called me yesterday because I ordered a hundred clove oil bottles, half ounce. And they my, probably said, "Are you? Did you mess up?" They said, "No, no." And I get these calls all the time from them. They said, "Sorry, Amy, we only have fifty this time." I said, "Well, could you make some more? Because I'm going to order fifty next month." They're a family. Owned. These are hippie herbalists. Okay, you want to buy some some herbs from people who really know what they're doing and talking about. This is they live and breathe this stuff. Yeah, All and I'll hippie, tell you yeah. that is who you and that's that, that's part of <laughs> understanding the larger community we have available to us right now. I was talking about this, you know, yesterday when I was talking about developing businesses and everybody wants to grow everything that's going to be in their product and like you're not going to grow everything that's going to be in a product unless it has like one ingredient and it's all you do. And, and we need to rely on people that specialize in certain things. Sure. To, especially when things are storable. I mean, you know, vacuum sealed herbs store for quite a while. Oh, yeah. And then yeah, the I mean, oils, you're right. I was laughing when you were telling me that because I was thinking, for, first of all, you had the first problem solved. At least you had a lot of material available. Yeah. But let's be honest the amount of energy it takes to extract essential oils. In a collab situation, that energy has too many other things that it needs to be doing to, to, to be dicking around with extracting tea oil from a leaf. You're absolutely You're so right. right. What, is... How much rose material is there for one drop of rose oil? It was like like a, like hundreds of pounds or some ridiculous right. I mean, amount yeah, of, of material. A, I know. It takes like an acre of lavender to get a few gallons of lavender oil, even if you have a it's, big distillery. It's absolutely, completely unrealistic. If you want essential oils, get them now. Leaders, I think. By, by, you know, a couple at a time. And please, folks, get to know them. Don't go out and buy a hundred oils because your brain will be so overwhelmed by the information. You will not know what you have and you will not know how to use them. Can you talk a little bit about using them, Amy? Because I think that's a great subject as well. I mean, I know that like if I have like like that little bit of a headache coming on, like where it's not like it's not already a migraine. I want to kill somebody. It's just like your head's aching, and you're, you're like, ah, oh, I just don't. I don't need a headache right now. I have a little uh, uh, bottle of peppermint oil. I don't right. feel like I've ever actually used any of it <laughs> because I open it, I take a couple sniffs, and I close it. I'm sure right. some gets away, but. I mean, honestly, that's what it takes for that. But there's other situations you might use it a little bit differently. Uh, well, let's do, I, let, let's. I can say one way that you can use it. You could take that oil, you can rub it on your hands. Which he's actually then, demonstrating right now if this which was Which I'm video. demonstrating <laughs> for the radio. And um, you can just put it, put it to your face and you do what we call, it's called direct inhalation therapy. Right, right. Um, one of my favorite things, and I, I'm going to use peppermint oil here as a reference, um, is to take the peppermint oil very simply. You can just take a couple drops on your fingers, rub it on your temples, and massage it in. Just 
literally two drops, folks. I know you, you know, everybody wants, thinks more is better. More is not better when it comes to essential oils. It is extremely concentrated. You're getting a lot of peppermint leaves from those couple of drops. Believe me. Rub it on your forehead. Rub it on your temples. Another thing you can do if you are using this now is to take a washcloth, put a few drops on, wet the washcloth, stick it in the freezer for even 10 or 15 minutes, get it really cold. If you do two of those, you can put one on the forehead, one on the back of your neck, and a lot of people with very, very bad migraine headaches have found tremendous relief with the cooling compress and the peppermint oil added to it. You can do um, aerosol. They have these uh, vaporizers that will create a little aerosol, and they're very simple. They are usually run on electricity, so if you're talking about off the grid, you'll have to figure out a situation for that. They probably have battery-run ones that you can get, but that will sort of fill the mist in the room and, again, give the aromatherapy that uh, Dr. Bones was just talking about. Instead of having to rub your hands and directly smell it into your nose, you you know, kind of fill the room up. You can also uh, rub certain ones are best uh, put into your body through the bottom of your feet. It sounds weird, but what you're doing is you're absorbing it through the bottom of your feet. And there's also a treatment that people have talked about for colds and flus where you put garlic in your socks and you go to sleep with it. Well, it's being absorbed into your body, and garlic is an antibiotic. So you know, I have done that. There's different methods. I have used that method what probably did you do? for the last year, and I have not been bothered by vampires since then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the reason I ask you to describe some of this, though, so people can, when they're thinking about essential oils, get a grasp on the value, because people look at it like a half ounce of clove oil for five bucks, right? And they, that seems expensive or whatever. And it's seven fifty actually for the half ounce. They must have a sale because of your volume. I'm, I'm there right now, and it's five. It's 525, 30% off right now for clove oil. You must No, please don't tell me that. I ordered this two days ago. Yeah, yeah, right. I got it there now, five and a quarter. <laughs> well, you know, I want to tell you that basically. It's actually cheaper right now to buy half-ounce bottles than a one-ounce bottle. So you must have been able to uh, a bulk buy on just bottles or something. But the reason I say that, though, is like, let's say it was, let's say it was $10 for, for a half an ounce, right? You'd look at that and say, you know what? If you tried to distill one ounce of that crap, Yep. That'd be the fastest you'd ever spend ten dollars in your life if you wanted it, because they're 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 not expensive compared to what it takes to produce them. Unless you know the, the way these people could sell this stuff for this price is it's being produced in massive quantities with specialized equipment. Right. They they invested in these large copper stills. Now I will say for Mount Mountain Roses actual. Manufacturing, they're, they are a small company. They do these in small batches, but there are companies that fill up entire warehouses of these huge copper distillation. Now, if anyone has tried to purchase a copper distillation set, you will find out it's extremely expensive. The investment, you'll, you will go out and buy essential oil so fast it'll make your head spin. <laughs> hey, what, what do you think about having the entire commune just Get the lavender flowers, for example, and just stomp on them like you would grapes, <laughs> and just have them do that like day in day. Yeah, you think how much lavender oil you think you would get? Uh, probably not very much. Oh. Not only that, but you're all going to starve to death because you're not actually growing food. <laughs> <laughs> which is where we need to be putting our energy exactly. into. Which is exactly what Jack was talking about, and yep. it's my point too. 
Don't think you're going to grow fields and fields of all these herbs and create your own essential oils, quote, to save money. Because I'm telling you, you'll, you will wish that you purchase them now. But again, go slowly. Get to know them. Don't feel overwhelmed and pressured to buy everything that you see. And that goes along with any of these prepping items and any medical items, too. Go a little slower. Get to know what you have bought. Buy the tourniquet. Practice it. Watch videos. Read our articles. One thing at a time. Just don't practice your tourniquet full on on your on your buddy because you know. <laughs> yeah, not on his. On And his, don't practice your on his neck. You don't know. practice your your knife on your new knife on him before you put the new tourniquet. Yeah, well, well, you know it works. Um, let's <laughs> talk about something else too, like storage of all this stuff. Especially, let's, let's we can probably talk about herbs and other things too. But let, let's start off with what we we got you guys on to talk about these antibiotics. Um, there's this you know belief that like you look at a, a bottle of antibiotics expires. September 2nd, 2015. Well, tomorrow I better throw this the hell away. Um, that's not the way it works. Uh, so talk about that. And also talk about maybe ways that we can make sure that we're not speeding things up as far as uh, decline in efficacy. Well, absolutely. I am so glad you asked, by the way. <laughs> Expiration days. <laughs> hey. uh, actually, the second article uh, that I had uh, in Survival Blog was called The Truth About Expiration Dates. So that's another thing that I talk about. Now, Uh, let's. What is an expiration date? I mean, what is it actually defined? In, in, in the United States mandated the use of expiration dates on medications st starting in about 1979. 1979. Exactly. And an expiration date is basically the last date that a pharmaceutical company will guarantee 100% potency of its medication. Now, that means that it is something that can be used afterwards without it necessarily being uh, being poisonous or having a horn grow in the middle of your forehead or a third eye or anything like that it is what it means is very simply that this is an an issue for uh efficacy would be one word but that's a little official The, the date that it's 100% effective. The, right. So they guarantee it. Exactly. Exactly right. Now, how do we know that these medicines are actually effective after their expiration date? Well, the Department of Defense, FEMA, the, the F, FDA, all of these guys keep millions of doses of drugs on hand in big giant warehouses for emergency Situations, uh, peacetime disasters, things like that. Well, what would happen when these medications be, would become expired? Well, as soon as they expired, they get the forklifts out and they throw out millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars worth of all of these drugs. So they took a look at each other and they say, wow, this is getting pretty expensive. And so what they said is let's put together a pro, uh, an experiment. And let, they called it the Shelf Life Extension Program. And the Shelf Life Extension Program basically evaluated 122 drugs that were commonly used uh, in uh, emergency settings. And they evaluated them for the level of potency. They had a series of, instead of throwing them away, they, they kept them around. So they had some left over. From, that were two years overdue and some that were left over that were 12 years overdue and they found that almost everything in pillar capsule form was 100% potent two to 12 years after they 
were expired. And, and my suspicion is that some of these medicines were only two years expired at the time of the, of the, of the experiment. So as a result of these findings during the 2009 swine flu epidemic, the government just put out an emergency use authorization. And what that means is that you can use this medicine if it's expired, in this case, for five years. And the medicine was Tamiflu, which is the antiviral medicine that's used for uh, influenza. And so that's happened a number of times since that first emergency use authorization was given. And they found out all of this information about how the fact that these medicines are remaining potent. So this is one thing that is very important that people need to know that these medications, these medications are not, not something that you necessarily have to throw away. Now, normal time, sure, just call the doctor for a fresh prescription whenever you need it. But disasters happen. You got to be prepared for them. I mean, and, and let's, this is the real, here's the basic truth. Okay. The truth is in a real survival setting, the decisions are going to be black and white, man. What's the problem? Do I have medicine that will treat the problem? Could this medicine, although it's expired, possibly save a life? When it comes down to it, can you really I mean, think about it? When, can you really choose to not use it to prevent a death because it may possibly have side effects, may or may not be quite as strong as it possibly was? Even if it loses some potency, it's not becoming poison. So it is something that. You need to consider, I say, don't withhold the drug because uh, some academic type, I mean, uh, the art, uh, some articles have quoted some academic types to say how dangerous, how dangerous it is. While at the same time, the article says that you should consider using it uh, in survival settings. I mean, some, just because some professor says it's not a good idea to use an expired medicine, you know, in normal times, that's great, that's very reasonable, but considering a time when an expired medicine might be the only option you have left. Sure. Well, I mean, and you think about it this way, right? So what what is my other option? My other option is to not give them a medicine. So I either give a dosage that's less than I thought, that doesn't hurt anything and might help, or I let the guy die. I mean, right. that's the actual choice you're making. Well, I, the bottle says it's expired. It's not like giving somebody, you know, a glass of milk from a cart that expired six months ago. That could cause a need for medication. But all your your fish mocks or whatever is going to do is become less effective. And I think you'd said to me even before at one time when we were talking about this that you know you can monitor the response and then if, if the response is not enough, you can slightly up the dosage until you make up for the the lack of of effectiveness. Exactly, exactly. So uh, this is the type of thing, and this is how, why it's important for the medic to know how to identify issues like infections. When is a wound infection? How is the progress of that wound coming along? I mean, is it getting more infected? Is it getting less infected? And you might have to titrate the medication up or down based upon what you find. Now, uh, let's talk a little bit about storing these medications because that does affect potency. Like medicine should be stored in cool dry, dark places. That's the key. Cool, dry, dark. And uh, if you have a vacuum sealer, I have no problem with your vacuum, vacuum sealing these medications. Absolutely no problem. However, I will say that freezing is not necessary. It might be good to keep it in a cool environment if you have that uh, possibility. Uh, potency of a medicine 
is lost twice as fast if you store it at 90 degrees as opposed to 50 degrees. But freezing is not necessary. It might even degrade some of these medicines. So don't feel that you have to freeze things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think refrigeration is if if it's you've got the space anyway, it's probably not. If a, not, yeah, it's not power, yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. Especially now, right? In the, in advance, um, are there, are there ways someone that we already talked about that? I, I had that in my notes. I was going to ask you about accumulating, you know, uh, stuff that we, we cover that. So l- let's talk about something else then. Like, so we were talking about these herbals, right? Uh, you, you know, feel free to whichever one he wants to take this, but. What's the best way to to store dried herbs to make sure they they don't lose their their quality and effect uh, effectiveness? Ditto, man. Same uh, thing. Yeah, exactly, absolutely, and, and especially I would say that the air is would be the most uh, detrimental right. to those. So absolutely, vacuum packing these when you do get them in bulk. You know, you'll find that there's air in that bag. So you need to, you can use the original bag, just put a little hole in it, and then put the vacuum bag around it and suck all the air out of everything and just make sure it's as compressed as possible. I think that's a great idea, and I think it's important to have a good idea of what this herb, for example, look like looks like in case it over the course of time develops fungus on it you know it become which obviously makes it makes oh, it I've bad I've seen that happen yeah, so yeah, that with humidity i mean you're talking about you know not having your air conditioned house i, I right. can just imagine how quickly um, things would degrade right in the in the humidity and sometimes some drugs even some medications actually change color or change consistency and become more viscous or less viscous you know they and that's why well they recommend you not store your your medications today in a bathroom we all have medicine cabinets or mm-hmm. some sort of storage in our bathroom that is the worst Hot and place <laughs> do not put your medications in your bathroom folks please you're, that makes you're sense. degrading them. <laughs> that was worth the whole interview right there, honestly, for some people, because I <gasps> I don't do it just because there's better places for it, but I never really thought about it. Yeah. It, it's yeah. take a shower every day. Yeah. You know, guys, we take warm showers. For some reason, you women take, like, these, like, scalding, you melt the wall showers, and <laughs> this just steams the whole place up. <laughs> so heat and moisture are the enemies of storage, no matter what you're storing, really, unless, right, well, unless you're storing something that's supposed to be warm and moist, whatever that would be. Um, well, so I mean, we don't want this is, And then we put our medicine right where it, it is hot and, and wet. Exactly. Well, I was just saying that. I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I didn't really know that, and I was storing all my pot in a little bag in the, in, in the toilet tank. Yeah, right. That's just so your daddy and mommy wouldn't find it, honey. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yes, do not put your medications in the, in the, the humid area. And then, again, talking about dry... You also want to keep the light away from them. So those Mylar bags work out really great. Yeah, I was just going to say that, that, you know, when you buy bulk herbs, and you were talking about putting a little pinhole in them um, and then vacuum sealing around them. Then you get the you get Mylar and you get vacuum seal all in one. Yep, all in one fell shot, and then make sure you guys label them so you know what's in there. Don't think you're going to remember all these Mylar bags and what was in them. So make sure you label them well. And the date that you put them in the vacuum seal. 
And I think it's a good idea to start learning about using these things now. Like, so, yeah, they think all three of us are in agreement. Uh, the next time you have a runny nose, don't go out, buy a bottle of fish mocks and start shooting them down and see how it works. Like, we don't need to do that. But things like herbs and essential oils and learning to make compounds or ointments or tinctures and stuff, like, this all is something really is safe right. to do that you can do right now. Now, there's, I'm not going to say you can't screw things up with herbs because you can. But there are herbs that you're you're not gonna really hurt yourself almost no matter what you do unless I don't know you drowned yourself in it. Um, but like right. pepper bomb, peppermint. I mean, you're you're not gonna kill yourself with peppermint. I, I, I guess if you really really wanted to, you could figure out a way. But you know, if you're, or you're making a, a, a salve using plantain and comfrey. You, you're not gonna hurt yourself. So like learn to do that now. So don't, like because this is what I, I, I'm afraid of if we don't say this. Yeah. The same thing will happen that people do with the survival seed banks, right? Some Somebody's going to go to Mountain Rose or another bulker place um, and say, here's like 20 really great medicinal herbs. They're going to order a pound apiece. They're going to get them home, put a couple pinholes in the mylar, shove them in the Ziploc or the, uh, the vacuum bag, vacuum them up, shove them into a five-gallon bucket, toss a big old O2 absorber in there. You guys know what to use for that, right? Absolutely. The, do you? Do you know what to use for the biggest, cheapest O2 absorber you can get your hands on? Wait, the biggest the use for one? it or where to get it? Where to get just, as opposed to just where to O2 get it? Absorber. I don't know where to get it. All right, this is an equivalency for you guys. You guys tell me about equivalency of medications, equivalency of O2 absorbers. If you go to like sporting goods stores and box stores after hunting season and buy hand warmers, they are an O2 absorber. That's how they work. They are the exact same thing that's in an O2 absorber that you buy. And that's how they work. It's basically iron filings with an additive that causes the iron to rust quickly and oxidize. That causes heat during the reaction. Well, that's exactly how the O2 absorber works. It's the same substance inside it. You put that in a jar, and it takes all the oxygen up by oxidizing the iron. So Fantastic. if you wanted, to, you wanted to, to throw an O2 absorber in your five-gallon storage bucket... You just shove a, a full-size, you know, hand warmer in there, and you can get them like three for a dollar when they're on clearance. Yeah, they're cheap. Oh yeah, absolutely. And the O2 absorbers are expensive. Of course, they've gone up in price as more people are buying them. So that's that's the little addition. You can do an article about that and credit me as a source, Bones. But <laughs> what I'm, what I'm saying is like people will get you know gamma lit or whatever, and they'll make a couple of buckets up of all these great herbs and, and stick them in their stores. I'm not even saying that's a bad idea, but it's just like the seed bank. If like all of a sudden one day you need that stuff and you start pulling it out, oh yeah, I have hyssop in here. I wonder what that does and how to use it. You don't have time to figure that out then. You've got to know how to use it now, and that's your storage you go to when you need it. If that makes sense. Absolutely, and we actually have a couple chapters. Besides having suggestions of herbal remedies, whether it be teas or a, a poultice or an, an oil, all kinds of different herbal remedies within the book sections where you're finding a particular issue, we have two chapters in the book. One is on herbal remedies. It tells you how to make them, how to use them, and what you should get. You're starting your medicinal garden, and we also have a whole chapter on essential oils. Now, is it an absolute, you know, 5,000-page herbal book? No, but it combines and it gives you ideas of what you can do right. besides traditional as to use herbal. Integrative medicine. That's using, right. using all the tools in the woodshed. That's right. 
Awesome, awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit more about your book as we wrap up here because we, we've worn out an hour here, um, which is easy to do with you guys because I like you. Um, so, but your book is, like, I think people hear, you know, the Survival Medicine Handbook. I, I think everybody should have your book for two reasons. Number one, it's the best book I've ever seen on the subject. And number two, if, if you can't, if you're not using it for medicine, like, and you're being attacked and you're out of ammo, you can beat somebody to death with it. <laughs> It's a big book. The fact that it's so big, like maybe misleads people as to how practical it is. Can you kind of talk about like what you wanted this book to be and how it ended up being that? Like you've described it between like the you know the, the thin first aid manual and and the medical textbook, somewhere in between those two worlds. But it's for the average person, right? You know, I, we I just couldn't find a lot of books that had uh, the mindset that we had. So, Basically, uh, even exactly. even great books like Where There Is No Doctor, I mean, whichever I'm sure everybody has heard of. I mean, the, the chapters oftentimes end with and get that person to the doctor, right? And Move, get that person right. to the Evacuate hospital. Evacuate as soon as possible. Move the patient to a hospital right. facility. There wasn't a book that was willing to say uh, to think that there may be a situation in which you, the average person, are now going to be the end of the line. That that person. It, instead of doing what the normal goal is in modern emergency medicine, which is to stabilize a person, get them to the next highest asset, when you find yourself as the highest asset, you have to take care of that wound from just not stopping the bleeding right. and dressing it, but you have to take care of it from beginning to end. You may have to decide uh, to close that wound. You may have to decide to leave that wound open and to, and to just watch it heal from the inside out. You may have to deal, instead of just with injuries, you may have to deal with medical issues. You may have to deal with people with chronic problems. And there is no book that was willing to think about it. And not even wilderness, not even wilderness. And there was no book that was willing to not insult my intelligence as far as I'm concerned either, because you know what? If that's an option, you don't need to tell me to do it. Right. Right. If if a guy's got a compound fracture and a bone sticking out, and I've done my best to, to deal with the situation, and there's any place else he can go, I don't need the book to tell me to do that. Thank you. I'm gonna do that on my own. What I <laughs> know is when there is no place else to go, how do I take it beyond what I would do after my you know my emergency first aid course to be you know a first responder uh, in, in search and rescue? Exactly, because. All of those trainings, including the wilderness medicine books, all are about stabilizing that patient. And ASAP, whether that's five minutes, five hours, or five days, get them somewhere else. Our book never, ever, from the begin first, from the front cover to the back cover, ever tells you to go to the doctor, go to the hospital. Not because we don't want you to in normal times, right. we do, but because the whole book assumes. That something has happened, there are no longer any doctors, there are no longer any hospitals, that you are going to be responsible. You, the average accountant or, or, or the average office worker, is now the highest medical asset left, and we teach you how to be effective being that person. Awesome, awesome. So let's talk about, uh, like, real quick as we end up here, like, maybe what's the best way for people to buy that? Is it better they come to your site, buy it on Amazon, what have you? If they want an autographed copy, come to the site. You can go to Amazon. Uh, is is a great place to to get it. Uh, we've been on the most wished for list for uh, three years on that site, and we've been number one in three of its categories: disaster relief, survival skills, safety first aid. Uh, we're just really really happy. I'd like to just mention for a second that we also have a podcast it's called the Survival Medicine Hour. 
We have a video cast. Uh, uh, the first and third we- Oh, we have a video cast yes, tonight. We do, we do yeah, have one tonight. <laughs> tonight, tonight first and third Wednesday of every first month. First and third Wednesday of every every month, so you can actually see us make fools of ourselves. Wait, tell them where it is. Uh, oh, is that aroundthecabin.com? <laughs> Our the YouTube channel is Doctor Bones Nurse Amy, and you'll find we have over a hundred videos there. Yes, yes, and not all of them are on cucumbers. Exactly. No, 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 no. We I just have a few of them on gardening. I, I do. I, my our growing season in South Florida is coming up soon, so I'm going to be doing more videos this winter, which is when we'll be growing. But most of them are on medical preparedness, and it's all free, folks. And by the way. Every word of the book is on our website. There is nothing that's secret. The reason you have the book is a physical copy in case there's no internet. And also assembled in a specific order and, and able to be hooked up. And, yeah, and, so that yeah. makes sense. And, yeah. and because, you know, when people do good shit, if you don't do business with them, they stop. I mean, that's like one of the big, well, I can get that for free. Well, not forever if you don't support the people that do the work because... You know, I've half written three books, so I know writing a book's a bitch. So, it is. <laughs> right, your book is, you know, it, it, it was a, a monumentous task. It's it's something I probably could have never waded through to get that much done. Oh, it's, it was, it's pretty amazing what you what you were able to do there. It so was torture. And we and we <laughs> it's had, okay. We love and, it. And we edited the book and self edited the book. We put our own index. It. Imagine an index. I know. You know in, this. Had to do an this is on page. Something. I know. Yeah. We have to look up each word and find out what page it was actually going to yeah, be printed pretty, on. I, I will add to that, though. If you're an author and or you're a budding author and you care about your work, self-edit your book. Um, no matter what you tell an editor, like all I want you to do is fix spelling, punctuation, commas, stuff like that. Don't mess with my my verbiage. They always do. We have always. I have always. one book that I actually completed with with Neil Franklin, and the biggest mistake we made was letting somebody edit it. Because when when we finally just said we got to get it, we have a, a cut date. It's got to be done by, and we have to go with this. You know, we're reviewing it. There were just parts of it going. That's not me. That's not what I would say. <gasps> oh no! They, oh, they never listen. And I mean, you you almost would have to have like one of those dog shot collars attached to their their neck that was wired to their computer that started changing words that went off. That's like the only way they can't help themselves, right? She's like, well, you're not anthropologist. You can't. I did I ask you to like. We'll let that go. But the other thing I wanted to point out was that you guys actually have a really great discount on the book and on your kits for everything on your site for our MSB members. So I want to make sure people know that, that like, if they're going to get over there and buy some of your kits, and let's finish up with that too. Like, you guys have like really awesome med kits, and I know Amy doesn't let you pack them for some reason. <laughs> yeah, because she's says, not as organized you know and what? meticulous. I, you know what I am? I'm an artiste. There you go. <laughs> I, I pack like I feel. Right. And sometimes <laughs> he feels like packing them inappropriately. <laughs> oh, oh, that's not. <laughs> no, okay, Which let me anything other that. than the way you say it should be. He, yes. Uh, he, yes. Well, he right. get he that's, does get inappropriate. He does get all the items into the bag, but I have a specific way I want it packed because if you have a dire emergency, you need to be able to access those things yes. first, and then you can move on, you know, later. And so I do have a, a rationale. For I think you I'm pack going. like a doctor, Bones, and she packs like a paramedic. She is the <laughs> bomb. She <laughs> is the bomb. I pack like a well, like an army medic. More, you know, the, 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 I, for the sucking chest wound needs to be at the top. Yes, thank you, and the tourniquet and your gloves and some massive gauze. So, yes, I do have uh, reasons to pack them. Uh, I have uh, small kits, IFACs, 
Oh, wait, Some wait. Some might know, and you, I have you've I got offered, shot kit, you've and I offered, do have free shipping, yes. You've offered free shipping, yeah. Only for another... Couple of weeks. Week and a half, okay. yeah. I don't know when this is coming out. To the 14th, but your members get a nice discount. So. Until, until you change your mind. Till I'm mean, yes. I don't know. I don't know. It's 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 a lot of money for shipping. <laughs> yeah. Some of these bags are I'm pretty hefty. That money up pretty here. hefty, yeah. So anyway, we have small bags. We have as big oh. as something called a family bag. So it just depends on how many people you're taking care of, uh, what your purpose is. I have the small gunshot kit. If you go out to the range, yeah. or you go hiking, or camping, or uh, shooting, hunting. Oh. Well, Jack, you know that, you know, for us, the main thing isn't the bottom line. I mean, you've known us long enough to know that. But, you know, the main thing is to get medical supplies in the hands Please. of the average family. That's right. Get them. Absolutely. I publish all of the lists of everything that's in every single bag. So if you want to make a big bag and you want to use Nurse Amy's list, go on the store and print it out and start getting piece by piece. I put everything out there, the type, the brand, the size, the amount. You have it all, everything that's in the bag. Again, there's no mystery. Everything is out there for people to have for free. Well, very cool. And you guys have always been great about that, sharing the information. So I want to thank you guys uh, for being on the show today and for all the work you guys do for the industry. Well, thank they, you and, so much. And you too. We really appreciate all you do for the preparedness community. All right, folks, and with that, this has been Jack Spierka today along with Joe and Amy Alton helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Tick-tock, hear the clock countdown. Wish the minute I could be rewound. So much to do and so much I need to say. Will tomorrow be too late? Feel the moment step into the past. Like sand through an hourglass. In the madness, I guess I just forget. To do all the things I said. Time passes.
Cause we don't have no time to make the 